We are in Acts chapter 1. If you're in a few Bible this morning, that's page 909. We're going to start in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented them alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you, is in heaven, who will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. It was a joy for me this week, or just these past few days, to be able to to think about Pastor Ron, as Pastor Ron mentioned, our unstoppable God, and to have an opportunity to just reflect and look through Scripture and, and find passages, and it's all over the place to show that that God makes makes it makes it a purpose to to say things like, "My plans will not fail. My purposes will succeed." This morning as we were just singing and and sharing prayer requests and thinking about those even in our own congregation who are facing some of the the deepest, darkest hours of their life, uh, they might have a difficult time, you know, imagining a God who is unstoppable and powerful when they face things that to them seem unstoppable. I had the opportunity to to make a few additions to our missions board this week and and just to see the different faces and families and the thinking about the places where they're at. Pete, as, as many of you know, Peter Burgos was with us and his father-in-law uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and thinking about Peter's situation as, as a missionary in China uh, and Heather and, and now thinking of David and Dina Scott and their their. Uh, ministry as they prepare to minister among a people group that is difficult. Each of them and all of the missionaries that we support, they face opposition. They face, they have forces in their surrounding them in their lives, even within but and without, that want to stop the work that God is doing in and through them. And they they. They have to rely upon a God who is unstoppable. And maybe in your life, you have things in your life that that make it hard for you to imagine that God could be powerful, that He could really be sovereign and in control and and unstoppable. But I want us to, to look together this morning into the book of Acts where we see a, a picture, a portrait of of how God has shown himself 
to be powerful. That there is nothing, there is no force that is stronger than He is. There's nothing that is able to thwart His purposes to stop His plans. And that's good news for us because that means His work in our lives will sure as well. So let's look, let's pray together this morning and then we'll look into the book of Acts. Father, we come and we, we come dependent on You to do the work that only You can do. We, we need the Holy Spirit to come and illumine our, our hearts and our minds to see the glory of the gospel, the message that was proclaimed and shared and witnessed to by all of the believers and the disciples in the book of Acts as they, they took it from where they were to, where, to all around the world. Father, we need you to do a work to help us see you this morning. Help us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ as we think about the gospel and and the spread of the gospel. So God, help us to have confidence in you and who you are this morning that will last, that will be the the foundation, the bedrock that we build our lives upon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are going to look a little bit at at the passage that was read this morning by Pastor Jason from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. But we're mainly going to focus on one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then we're going to spend some time seeing how, at least the first half of the book, we're going to spend time in showing how God fulfills His purposes that were spoken by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this morning there's going to be three parts to the message, three, three sections that I'll be sharing with you. The first one, part one, we're going to talk about the audacious statement of the Son. The audacious statement of Jesus, the Son of God, that he makes here in, in verse chapter 1, verse 8. And then the second section we'll talk about, the second part this morning, will be the, the aggressive fulfillment by the Spirit. We're going to see the Holy Spirit doing his mighty powerful work to fulfill through, through ordinary believers this promise that Jesus makes in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So the first is the audacious statement of the Son, and then the aggressive fulfillment by the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we'll see the absolute sovereignty of the Father. We're going to see God's power displayed in all of this, all of this process and in each circumstance that comes in opposition to what's happening here, what we see starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to see God overcoming every obstacle, every hindrance that comes, and to see that He really is absolutely sovereign. So first, let's read just verse 8, and we're going to talk about this statement that Jesus makes in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This, this verse here, this statement that Jesus makes, kind of has two parts to it. The first one is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when we think about this statement by Jesus, this first part, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that first part is absolutely essential and critical for the success of the second part. The, the fulfillment of his disciples being witnesses to the ends of the earth 
hinges on the reality and the, the coming to pass of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and giving them power. You can think of it kind of like the means and ends. What is, what is God's goal here in this? What does Jesus say is, is the goal? The purpose, the end result that he's going for is that he would have witnesses of his gospel and his, the good news about him to all the ends of the earth. That's his goal. What's the, what's the means by which this is going to happen? How is this going to be accomplished? And we see that in this first phrase, that the disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, enabling them to fulfill this purpose of being witnesses. As we see here in this, in this first part of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus references power. He talks about the, the reality of power in the lives of the disciples. His, his followers are absolutely going to need power to accomplish this. In order to carry out what, the, what he says they will do, they are going to need power. In order to do God's work, God's way, it requires God's power. These men, his disciples, if you know anything about the Gospels and the background of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we see the lives of the, of the disciples as he calls them, we know that these guys, they're not, uh, they're not all-stars. They're not a dream team. They're not, uh, they're not a collection, a group of superheroes gathered together to, to fight off all the evil in the world. These guys are just ordinary people who are not known to be very faithful, very powerful, very strong. And uh, as we think of even even Peter, he had a he had a gumption and a boldness to him, but but what happened? When push came to shove in the darkest hours of his master Jesus, what did he do? He denied him. And each and every one of the other disciples fled, just as Jesus foretold would happen. So so these men as as we had have read and as we've looked through the the gospels we know that they're not especially powerful people so why should we expect anything to be different now why should anything be different at this point in the book of acts and thankfully we see that this power is not something that comes from them but it's something that they receive the power that they need is something that doesn't come from inside of them it comes from without thankfully these these ordinary men who who have no inherent strength and power of their own don't need to to look inside themselves as as so often our culture culture would tell us to do is to 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 look deep and we'll find what we need the resources we need to accomplish the things in our life that's not what jesus is saying here he's saying the disciples needed to receive a power that was not their own. It would be His power, not their power. And then Jesus says that this power would come to them when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. When we think about the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we can approach the Holy Spirit or talking and discussing the Holy Spirit with hesitancy. And, and sometimes there's good reason for that because Many times in our world, sadly, the Holy Spirit and, and the power that He is said to give and impart to believers is abused. The things that happen in the name of the Holy Spirit are, are not reflective of, of who He really is oftentimes. There's times that we know 
people would say, just uh, receive, if you have enough of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can, you can accomplish these things that you want. These blessings will, should flow to you if the Holy Spirit's really active in your life. You should be able to, to manifest certain works of the Spirit if you have Him in your life. And many times these, these things are abused and misused in the name of the Holy Spirit. But this should not cause us to, to shy away from thinking and rejoicing in the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must never forget that He is, the Holy Spirit, is essential to every, every aspect of our Christian life. Every work that God does in our lives and through us happens by the Holy Spirit's power. If you think of the work of evangelism, discipleship, and even, even in the work that God is doing in, in your own heart, when you receive comfort, when you are encouraged, when you're convicted, when you seek guidance and wisdom in your life, when there's a work of illumination of God's Word as you're reading it and you, you come to see the reality of God's truth, when you are strengthened in times of weakness, how do all these things happen? The Holy Spirit is the one who imparts these things and grants these things in our life. And we're going to see in, in a few minutes that, here in the book of Acts especially, that the power of the Holy Spirit, in particular, we see in the proclamation of the gospel. This, this is one way that it is. The Holy Spirit's power is clear and undeniable, that He is the one who gives power to, to speak the gospel, to speak the good news of Jesus. In this first part of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, And you will. He uses the word will. It, it appears as though it's just a, a, a nonchalant, unassuming statement by Jesus that he makes. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But when we, it, we think about that, it could be something, you know, the way it sounds, it might come across as if I could say something like, This afternoon I will go for a bike ride. Just nothing important, just something that's going to happen. But think for a moment about who it is that's saying this statement. Who is the one that says, you will receive power? It's the Son of God. It's the, it's the one who is the, the agent through which God created the world and sustains everything that exists. He's the one that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when, when Jesus says something, when He says this will happen, it, it's no longer an unassuming, nonchalant statement. It's a promise. It's something that's going to happen. Something that is undeniable. It's not just a, a passing statement. It's an unshakable promise. There is no question when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it was going to happen. So the second part of this of this verse says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He begins just he begins this phrase just like he began the first one. He says, You will. Just like the, it was certain that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them, so too it was certain that they would be his witnesses in, in these places. Somewhere along along the life on um, in my life, I w I've heard this verse and it was presented kind of like a prescription for how I should think about my ministry of sharing the gospel with people or, 
or sometimes it's presented as, as though this is the, the model that we should follow in our churches, describing this, we should follow this pattern for our outreach ministry. Sometimes presented as, okay, we have to first figure out what's our Jerusalem. What's our, how, what would be the parallel uh, in our lives, in our context for our Jerusalem? And they think, okay, maybe that's the, our immediate family and our neighbors or our congregation. That's where we should start. Before we, before we expand out from there, we need to start locally. And then we need to determine what, what, is, it, what is our personal Judea and Samaria and these, in our, the next sphere outside of our personal influence. It could be those in our city or maybe those who share our culture. And then they say ends of the earth would be the next step beyond that reaching out to those who are not a part of our culture. And so I heard that presented some point in my life, and, and I think even, even though there might be some validity to, to thinking that way, I think that way of, of thinking about this verse as something that I was supposed to do, something that I was supposed to imitate or follow, it kept me from seeing what's really going on here, what, what God really wants us to see, what Jesus was really saying. Rather than looking for the, the imperative, this is what I should do, I should be seeing this is what Jesus says He is going to do. This is something Jesus was going to do through His disciples. And that based on that, when I have an unshakable certainty on the sovereignty of God, that He is going to do what He says He's going to do, that's that's how I can do any ministry and, and live out any of my Christian life is knowing who God is and what that Christ is sovereign. Too often we we look at Scripture and we're trying to find okay, what's the quick application for our lives? What can I what can I grasp to pull out a little nugget here for what I should do? I want to know how to live. I want to know tomorrow today. What am I supposed to do when I get home? What am I supposed to do tomorrow? And so we look at the Bible looking for those kinds of things too quickly. We need to look at the indicative, the glorious indicative of what God has done and what God says He's going to do. And that's the foundation that we base all of what we do. Jesus is saying here, as, as certain as it would be that the Holy Spirit would come upon His disciples and give them power, just as certain as that would be the reality that they would become His witnesses in Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here is why this statement, if you think about it, here's why this statement is so audacious, why it's such a bold statement by Jesus. He said to His disciples, I'm leaving. He told them before His death, I'm going away, I'm departing. I'm going to to return to my Father. So he says he's going to be gone, and then he says to them, now, without me here, you are going to become my witnesses to the ends of the world. And these guys are just ordinary, uh, plain Jane kind of folk. And And not only that, but the message that Jesus is giving them, the good news about him, the gospel, this message is not received well. Everywhere they went, there was opposition. People hated it and wanted to stop this message from spreading, stop, wanted to stop the spread of God's Christ church. And Jesus says, this is going to happen. 
That's a bold statement that Jesus makes. It's not going not gonna to be just in Jerusalem. That would, be, that would be something in and of itself. Not only going to be in the, the region surrounding Jerusalem, but he says to the ends of the earth. That's a bold statement that Jesus makes. So we've seen, we looked at this statement to see the bold statement of Jesus, and now we turn to, to see the fulfillment. How is this carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus makes this claim that the gospel is going to spread throughout hostile, unreceptive nations around the world. And it's through his, through Christ's disciples that this is fulfilled. So we're going to see, look at two things. How does this happen? How, what's the method that the Holy Spirit uses to fulfill this statement that Jesus made in Acts 1.8? So we're going to see the how, and then we're going to see the where. Where does this take place? So the first, first is the how. In the book, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, more often than not, His power is manifested and directly tied to the proclamation of the gospel. Now, sometimes, I mean, as, as we know, the Holy Spirit, when He fills someone, it, it shows up in some miraculous kind of gift, some miraculous sign, whether that be uh, healing, casting out of demons, uh, or some other display, raising the dead or other display of power. Now, that's true. The Holy Spirit does that, but... If we look through the book of Acts, and especially in the first part, we see things like, uh, and so and so filled by the Spirit, and then they began to speak. Let's look at a, a few examples of that. In, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, Peter is standing before the Jewish leaders, and, it's, and he's, he's called to respond to them, and he says, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people of the elders. So Luke, the author of, of the book of Acts, prefaced what Peter, Peter said with this statement, and, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And then he goes on to share the, the realities of what God had done through Christ, sharing the, the truths of the gospel with these people. And then we see it again in Acts chapter 6 with Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verse 10. In referencing Stephen, it says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen was known to be... It said that Stephen was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he, as he spoke, it was clear and evident that he had the Holy Spirit in him enabling him and helping him to speak the good news of Christ. And then we see it's not just Stephen or Peter or other leaders, but even even the believers, even the ordinary believers in Acts chapter 4 verse 31. Acts chapter in Acts chapter 4 uh, some of the the leaders of the church were taken captive and by God's power they were set free. And they came to and reported what had happened to all of the believers that were gathered, the church that was there. And, and the believers prayed. They rejoiced that God was working. And here's, here's what happened after they prayed. In Acts 4.31 it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here again we see that the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is tied 
with people speaking the good news of Jesus, testifying, being witnesses of Christ. Why, why is this? We're going we're to see in a minute. Why, why is this that the Holy Spirit is tied with proclamation of the gospel? Before we do that, just want to, to make a note here that, that even in the few instances where the Holy Spirit is doing some miraculous type work through someone who's not one of the apostles, even then it's related to them speaking. Think about what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The disciples were gathered there after Jesus said, return to Jerusalem and, and wait for the promised one to come. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And it says that when the Holy Spirit came upon them with tongues of fire, uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They, were, they spoke in, in languages they had never learned before. The, they spoke and proclaimed the mighty works of God. Even then, the Holy Spirit caused them to proclaim the mighty works of God. And then think, think for a moment about the, the instance with Peter when he goes to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Cornelius' friends and family were gathered there, and God sent Peter to them, to these people who, who had not known Christ, did not know the gospel. And Peter shares the good news with him. He shares the gospel. And as he's speaking, it says in Acts chapter 10 that those Gentiles received, I mean, they received what Peter had said and they, they began to speak in tongues extolling God. So again, the Holy Spirit was working in them and, and the response is to speak and extol God. And other, other believers throughout the book of Acts are said as they f- are filled with the Spirit, through the Spirit, they prophesy they share the words, the messages of God with those he tells them to. So why is this? Why in the book of Acts so often do we see the Holy Spirit tied in with speaking, speech, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news? And here, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We see something about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verse 32 And this is when the apostles, a few of the apostles, are, are taken to prison and they're, they're called to give an account for why they are continuing to sp- spread this message. They were told not to and they continue doing it. And they say, we have to do it. We have to, we have to obey God, ra- God rather than men. And they talk about how Jesus was crucified, put to death, but that God raised him from the dead. And then in verse 32 it says, And we are witnesses to these things, the apostles. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So not only only are the apostles that were with Jesus called to be witnesses, but, but even the Holy Spirit Himself testifies of His own accord to Christ and to, to the gospel message. And as we, as we see here, it says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him, those who obey the gospel by trusting in Christ, believing, believing the gospel. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer. And, and He inside of us, the Holy Spirit, is the impulse inside of us that causes us to be a witness to Christ, causes us to testify of God's saving grace through Christ. In essence, in, in essence we become the vessels of the Holy Spirit's expression, being a witness. So 
So the Holy Spirit's method is through believers speaking the gospel that, that this statement that Jesus makes is fulfilled. And here we see where. Now we're going to move to where this happens. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. If you if you look through the book of Acts, that focuses primarily on Jerusalem. In Pentecost, where are they gathered? They're gathered in Jerusalem in chapter 2. People from, from nations all around the world had, had gathered centered in the temple in Jerusalem. And the first outpouring of the Spirit, proclamation of the gospel on a massive scale, begins in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 3, the, the ministry of the, the apostle centers in Jerusalem still. They continue to speak and proclaim boldly. The church grows and grows in Jerusalem. And then in, in Acts chapter 5, it says that there were there were people coming in from kind of like the suburbs of Jerusalem. The, the surrounding towns are coming, they're gathering in to be, uh, to receive healing and to hear the news that is spreading. And then turn to Acts chapter 6 verse 7. We see, we see this centering in Jerusalem. It says in Acts chapter 6 verse 7 that the number of disciples greatly increased in Jerusalem. And so we, we began to see this statement of Jesus in Acts 1.8. We began to see it start to be fulfilled here in Jerusalem. But it doesn't stop there. It moves out. It, it expands and grows. And, and the way that ex- expands out of Jerusalem is kind of a, a unique thing. Kind of a surprising thing for us to see how this happens. It says in Acts chapter 8 that a persecution began in Jerusalem. After Stephen had died, the church began to be persecuted. They began to suffer more more than they had before. And the result of that is that they are spread outside of Jerusalem. The persecution forces them out to leave. And what do they do? They take the gospel with them as they go. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. So we had heard references to Jerusalem, and now we began to see a reference to Samaria. Peter and John, when, when they hear the, what God is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing in fulfilling this in Samaria, Peter and John themselves go down to these cities in Samaria. And it says, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So again, we see the reference to Samaria. Saul who we know as Paul, in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, it says that he did gospel ministry in Damascus. And that was on the northern part of this region. In chapter 9, verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so we have references to to Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Just as Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. But the question is, would it, would it go beyond that? Would there be enough to get them to the ends of the earth? And we see that that happens as well. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 21, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of this last part of Jesus' statement It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen 
traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this is just the beginning. Here in chapter 11, it's just the beginning of the fulfillment of Jesus' statement to the ends of the earth that his disciples would be his witnesses. So we've seen the the audacious statement of the Son. We've seen that the, the aggressive fulfillment of the Holy Spirit and he does that through, through the, the, the believers preaching the gospel. And they do it, just as Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then we're going to see the, the absolute sovereignty of the Father. As I had spent time preparing this, a while, this message a while back, looking through the book of Acts, it was just amazing to see over and over and over again the times when there would be opposition to the work of the gospel. As, as the believers spread out, as they shared the gospel, there was opposition from, from left and right, from ahead and behind. And in every single instance, God just overcomes those obstacles as if they're, they're nothing to Him. We're going to look at a few examples as we think of some things. In the book of Acts we see how these obstacles are overcome, but some of these obstacles we might, we might be able to see applications to in our own life. Think about the, would it be possible for, for lack of education to, to stop or hinder, be an obstacle for the progress of the gospel? People who aren't trained, who aren't taught, that's exactly the case with the disciples. They, they were, ordinary folk they were not the the elite the highly trained religious folk they were they were from galilee people considered them to be kind of like hillbillies and yet god used them to be the ones who would would spread the gospel and advance his purposes in acts chapter 4:13 it says now when the leaders saw that saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And it's people like these, uneducated common men, that God used then and still uses today. How about jail? How about chains and shackles and and handcuffs? Maybe that, maybe something physical like that. Metal and steel would prevent people from spreading the gospel. Did it stop them in the book of Acts? No. Peter and John and other and Silas and Paul were all put in prison, but God God either set them free or allowed the gospel to spread while they were in prison. The gospel cannot be held captive by guards or chains, shackles. How about religious devotion? People being so devoted to their religion that there's no way they could be penetrated with the power of the gospel. Even that's not something to stop God. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says that, that some of the priests, the most devout religious people, the priests themselves, many of them turned to the Lord and began to follow Christ. How about persecution? 
Maybe when, maybe when some of the, the believers are killed, then people will be like, all right, that's it. We can't continue. This is getting too dangerous. What happened when, when Peter and uh, the other disciples were flogged and beaten and they came back and returned and, and shared with the believers? What was their response? They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. And even when Ananias and Sapphira died and when Stephen was, was martyred, it fueled the spread of the gospel. Persecution cannot squash God's purposes. Now, how, how about our own timing? Our, in our human wisdom, maybe we don't do it right. Maybe we don't do it quick enough or don't have the right methods. Would that stop God's purposes? No. He, he used persecution to, to send his emissaries, his ambassadors out outside of Jerusalem in his timing, in his purposes. He allowed this and caused this to happen. Doesn't, doesn't mean that we are not responsible for our own actions and are using the, the wisdom that God gives us, but God is not hindered by our lack of wisdom. What if, what if you could say, I don't have the, the preeminence, I don't have the ability to, uh, I don't have the authority, I'm not, I'm not someone who is ready to do this and able to do this. Who was it in Acts chapter 8? It says in Acts chapter 8 that through the persecution, uh, the church was spread, except the apostles. It says in Acts chapter 8 that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and it was the, the rest of the church that was spread out. And it was those, just ordinary people, who, who shared the gospel as they went. Maybe, maybe things, there's places that are just too far away, or the geography is such that it's too tough to reach these places. What did, what did God do with Philip? He just he sent him to uh, the road down to Gaza, and when it was done, he just carried him away. God carried Philip away. God, God isn't hindered by distance or geography. How about race? Maybe, maybe you think there's no way that the gospel could penetrate into this people group. There's too many difficulties, too many challenges. What did God do in the case of the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch? He orchestrated all of these events that Philip would come down and meet this eunuch, this Ethiopian, in the middle of nowhere to share the gospel with him. And this new Christian returns to his homeland and I'm sure shares the gospel with many of them. Maybe hate. Maybe you think hate is so strong that hatred would be something that could stop God. Saul hated Christians. Saul hated the church. Saul hated the gospel. What did God do in his case? He blinded him and turned him around, gave him a 180 degree turn. And Saul went from being someone who was a persecutor of the church to someone who began to found and spread churches. Someone who was persecuting Christ to someone who was proclaiming Christ. If God can do that in someone like Saul, he can reach anyone. There's no one that God is unable to, to reach. How about cultural prejudice? Maybe, uh, maybe there's such a, 
hostility between people groups, that that can't happen. God turned these Jews who had hostility towards Samaritans into, into people who had compassion and love for Samaritans and Gentiles and welcoming them into the body of Christ. How about other societal barriers? Maybe you think such and such a person is, is too high profile. They're too famous. I'll never have an audience with them. That could have happened, but, but what did God do in the case of Paul? He brought him all the way up the chain of command to get to Caesar, to the, the very leader of the Roman Empire in Rome. And so over and over again, we see that, that there is nothing that can stop God. We see the absolute sovereignty of God. And this is the, the bedrock that we need to see. We need to have this at the root and the foundation of our lives if we are going to, to last, if we're going to make it, if we're not going to burn out. We need to know that God is in control and He's powerful. So I close with this. We, we see this purpose of God but what's at the center of it all? What is all, all the commotion of the book of Acts about? What's all this, uh, this, this thing that's happening, the drama of the book of Acts? It's about the gospel. Listen, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 30, 36 through 43. And I want you to listen. This is what God's purposes are all about. What His sovereignty is all directed towards in His purposes. And it's proclaiming the Gospel so that, that people like you and me can be reconciled to God. And that's, this is for you today as well. Listen, it says, Peter says, As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a, on a tree, on a cross. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that He, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Have you received this Christ? Have you believed this good news message that people gave their lives to, to present? God may be calling you here this morning to Himself, and I, I pray that you would not be one who is an obstacle or, or in opposition to His work, but submit yourselves to it. To trust in what Christ has done, that He is the glory of God in the face of Christ, bearing our wrath and rising again. Let's stand together and sing of our unstoppable God, our great God.
thank you that that you are unstoppable God we thank you that you can overcome any obstacle that arises to your purposes God when you say something when you make a promise when you make a promise to to save a people for yourself help us to to have confidence that it will happen when you make a promise to those who belong to you that that you will never leave them or forsake them Help us to believe that. God, when you say things like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Help us to trust that. Help us to have confidence in you because not only have we seen how you have succeeded in the past, but but we've seen how your purposes continue and you promise to to all those who go out making disciples, you say even to them, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Help us go with that this morning and this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.